Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Carl Esprit, who's the executive director of Contango Holdings, who have a large stake in the Lubu Coal Project, which is a high-value coking coal project in Zimbabwe. Um, Cole is a qualified chartered accountant and chartered financial analyst with a long career in natural resources investment um, and development sector. Um, so Cole's on here to give an overview of the project um, and I suppose give us a better understanding of the coke and coal sector. So I'd like to welcome Cole to the podcast. How are you doing, Cole? Uh, hi, Rob. Thank you for having me. Very good to meet you. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate your time as well. Um, I wanted to give the audience a, a brief background about yourself, about your career, your journey, um, and how you got to where you are today. Yes, of course. I, um, I started my career in the mining industry at a company called BHP Billiton, which at that point was the largest mining company in the world. I'm not quite sure today. I think it's up there. And I was involved in, I was in the financial sector there. I was in the mergers and acquisitions department looking um, globally across commodities. Um, I left there to join a fund looking at the natural resources sector. So again, globally um, across multiple commodities. And I left that fund in probably 2013 to, um, and after that, I started some, I uh, guess, more entrepreneurial ventures across, uh, across largely Africa, some of which worked, some of which didn't. And, um, and Contango is, uh, Contango is, uh, you know, is the latest one in Africa where we've secured two, two incredible assets. One is a large coking coal asset in Zimbabwe, as you spoke about, the Lubu Coal Project. And secondly, we've, we've secured actually two projects in uh, Mali. They're contiguous projects. So we, the second one was to the west of the first one, but the, we, we're calling it the Garalo Complex, which is a gold asset in southern Mali in the very, very um, uh, prospective southern Mali belt, you know, nearby Hummingbird uh, Resources, one of the other London-listed Mali um, producers slash explorers. Um, and, you know, we're obviously very excited uh, about these prospects. I think we were speaking beforehand. Um, there's been quite a, recently, there's been quite a, a very strong movement within the commodity complex in general. Um, I think, I don't know how much of that is to do with COVID and pent up demand, but we've seen very strong price uh, price movement within the commodities, but we've also, also the, the flip side of that is the, the logistics of moving projects forward has been much more, much more difficult for us than we would have imagined. Yeah. Um, why don't you give us a, a background of uh, Cantango Holdings, um, obviously from when it started to sort of present day, so people have got, have got an understanding a little bit more about the company. Yes, yeah, so Contango, Contango Holdings was a, started as a cash shell on the London main board as a standard listed company. And um, it raised a small amount of money and then looked for an investment to undertake. Uh, the first investment it looked at, well, really, the, I guess the criteria for investments were that we wanted to look at assets that weren't greenfield exploration assets. So we, when we bought an asset, we wanted to know that there was a resource. Money had been spent already taking it up uh, the value chain to the point that there was either a resource or in some cases a reserve. 
unfortunately, I guess that does rule out the, the world of assets is either very greenfield, um, in which case it's they're cheap, but there's a lot of money that needs to be spent on exploration, or very or almost brownfield operations, in which case you're expanding something that you know is definitely there, but the cost is exorbitant. So we found in what we thought was a niche in the middle where we had um, we looked at projects where there was a resource statement and some sort of a, mine, a scoping study on the mine, and we could pick that asset up for relatively cheap and take it up the value curve and uh, move to near-term cash flow as soon as possible. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the potential long-term offtake agreement um, with uh, the world's largest stainless steel producer? Um, yes, yeah, so we're when, in discussion. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and I was, and I was just going to say, um, when can we hear more about this and, and what does it mean for the company? So we've also undertaken to people that we won't build mines. In the case of bulk minerals like coal, we won't build a mine until we have um, a demonstrable offtake agreements. It's obviously very different in gold where there's a clearinghouse and you can always sell gold. Um, with coal, it's a very unique product and each product that each mine produces is unique. So there's a lot of studies that need to go in to ensure that your particular coal works for their particular smelter. Because in, in the case of our business, we're looking only at coking coal, not thermal coal. Um, so we've been in discussions with multiple parties in Zimbabwe. I think we've spoken to the market about that, including, as we said, the, you know, the world's largest stainless steel producer who's been on our site. We're now moving forward to sink our shaft, which will be probably done, I guess, in the next month. Although, again, there's a health warning with everything, especially cross-border movements of equipment is very difficult at the moment. In fact, even getting off takers, because a lot of the a lot of the companies we're speaking to are headquartered in China, getting people to move from China to either South Africa or Zimbabwe is very difficult at the moment, not because they can't move there, but then on returning to China, they're stuck at a hotel for 14 days, so they choose not to come. And so that kind of explains some of the delays we've been having. We just can't get people to visit us when we want them to visit us. Um, on on the uh, as I said, we'll be sinking a shaft in the next few in the next few weeks. And um, that's in conjunction with the potential offtaker. The, the detailed test work will be done on the samples we take from that shaft. We're also talking to um, other offtakers, I think we've mentioned before, within the region and internationally. And I think, um, and, you know, I think we're, very, we're very positive about the results that will come from the test work we're doing now, specifically also because of the, the new methodology that we we kind of spoke about with the Chinese offtaker that I was speaking about was to move instead of an open cast mine, so opening a large pit, to actually sink a decline and attack directly the coking coal. Um, and then on top of it, you know, if I'm honest, the since we since the last four months we were speaking, the price of coking coal has moved so strongly that um, that makes it even more attractive for people. Because don't forget, these people in China in Zimbabwe, the option is either to buy coking coal from us or to import it either from South Africa or Australia at a much higher cost base because they've got to stick it on a ship. The price of freight is higher. So on a relative basis, we are looking more and more attractive to um, uh, potential consumer, uh, potential international consumers in Zimbabwe every day. Yeah. Um, and how, how's the operation moving along at Lubu? And um, what you and are you pleased with the progress since listing? We've Operationally, things have been more difficult than we thought. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some of that blame apportioned to... Um, just standard difficulties within running a company and things always taking longer than we expected. Some of that's a portion to COVID. Uh, I know companies are very kind of flippant and blaming as much as they can on COVID. So that's why I didn't blame it all on COVID. Um, the flip side is that the commodity complex has rescued the whole mining sector so strongly. I mean, 
Coke and Coles up about 35% since, since we listed. So what we thought was profitable then will be even much more profitable at the moment. I mean, that goes across all our competitors as well. So, but you know, we, we are where we are. The, the commodity sector is, is very strong at the moment. Demand is extremely strong. Um, it's been, as I said, it's been much more difficult getting everyone to sit in a room um, and Zoom is all well and good, but you know, often these decisions have to be uh, done in rooms together in countries where people can actually come and look at the asset. That's been much, much harder than we thought. And in some cases, I mean, you'll have seen we, what we thought would happen in January, move to February, move to March, move to April, just because people were just saying, we'll come next month. And then they'll say, we'll come next month. But I think now everything's really easing up. Again, we're moving into the summer and you're starting to see, we're starting to see, we had our meeting, we had our people, we, we had everyone meet in, in Wangi, then move through to our site at Binga. So we are really starting to see the, uh, the motion start moving quite quickly again. Yeah. Um, can you give um, us, uh, the audience, um, a little bit more understanding around Coke and Coal usage in the markets? Um, and what can um, shareholders expect to see in the future? From from obviously the company. Yeah, I, I lost you. I lost you in that last question. Apologies. No, that's okay. Um, I was just uh, just asking um, if you can tell us a little bit more about the uh, coal and coal usage and the markets um, and what shareholders expect to see in the future from the company. Yeah, so obviously coal is a controversial subject. Uh, we've seen we've seen coal use in the US fall probably thirty five percent in the last decade. Um, because of environmental concerns. But that's but there's two types of coal in the world. There's thermal coal and coking coal. Thermal coal is used for power production and um, and is the predominant coal used in the US is used for thermal coal because generally they don't use, they don't uh, create steel from iron ore. They create steel from um, recycled steel in electric arc furnaces, which is which don't use any coking coal. In China, you'll see in most of East, most of Asia, they use they create their steel from iron ore because they don't have enough of a stock of recycled steel to turn into new steel in the electric arc furnaces. So you've seen you've seen steel production in China go from about two and a half billion to about four billion tons. So a huge increase, way offsetting anything that the US and Europe has um, has reduced. And that's because at this point, coking coal is irreplaceable if you want to make steel from iron ore and large amounts of the world need to make steel in order to build buildings and create infrastructure from iron ore um, and so coking coal is indispensable in that process whereas with thermal coal you can always replace it with um, solar wind power nuclear you know geothermal pick your pick your re renewable you can't do the same thing with steel um, and so i kind of you know, whereas I'm sympathetic to the world's view on thermal coal, it's very difficult to see how, and you can almost see why the coking coal price is increasing so dramatically. Because in a lot of these deposits, coking coal and thermal coal exist side by side, and one is a byproduct of the other. And so if you're shutting down a thermal coal mine because it's unpopular, you're also shutting down, a, and I don't know how much, it might be 5%, might be 25%, you're shutting down a stream of coking coal coming to the market. And we've seen a lot of that affect the coking, which is why the coking coal price is so strong. Um, it's not only steel, by the way, it's in most smelters, you'll use coking coal, whether it's chromes, whether it's uh, ferro alloys, you, you know, you're using, using the carbon in the coking coal to liberate some of the metals. Um, and of course, without, without deposit, it's the same. Our deposit, uh, it, uh, there exists both thermal and coking coal. Initially, when we were going for a large open cut, we were going to stockpile the thermal coal and only um, exploit the, the coking coal, which are the lower seams, and then push back the thermal coal into the pit. We're now looking at a decline method, which has really been introduced to us by the Chinese. Um, and 
instead of then using an open cut, we can just sink a decline and go straight into and use continuous miners to just to just mine the the coke and coal seams down the bottom. It's not very deep anyway. At the deepest, our at the deepest our resource is fifty meters deep. So we're not talking, you know, we're not talking dramatic South African mines, you know, like the gold mines in South Africa. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on from uh, coal to gold. Um, yeah. how, the oper- uh, how are the operations progressing at uh, Guralo? Um, yeah. And what's the next step for the, uh, for the project? Yeah, so with Guralo, I think just to give some history, we bought a, again, we kind of applied the same logic where we want to buy a small little deposit. In the gold space, it's, it's very competitive. If you're buying a uh, drilled out deposit of a million ounces or more, you, you are really... Um, you're entering an extremely competitive space with all the juniors in Canada, Australia, South Africa, England fighting for and bidding up the price of things. And then some of the majors, even if they think it's a prospective area, the barracks of the world would just buy up a million ounce deposits near their mines to feed ore. So we didn't, we never wanted to buy, we never wanted to actually bid for anything that was million ounce plus. We wanted, our idea was to go and build a series of small kind of satellite deposits and, um, and you know, build a centralized mill and then feed multiple satellites. We, we figured if we could buy three or four, 300,000 ounce deposits, you can get north of a million cheaply and you can you can feed that all into a centralized mill. So we bought Garalo, which is an asset I've known for at least five years and always looked a bit small. And then, you know, it's only when we actively decided that that's the kind of asset we wanted to look at that we revisited it and we bought it. Um, and we then looked at, we sent all the data away to our independent guy who does the 43101s, he's an independent geologist. And his, his view was that this has been massively, um, massively understated in terms of the resource size. And so we put out an announcement only because we had to, although I felt, and I was kind of communicating with Shell, this doesn't, I know this looks strange. Did you buy something for 300,000 ounces and five weeks later, the guy's saying it could be 1.2 million ounces. And so I wanted like big health warnings on everything just to say, I know this doesn't look, but we had to put out the result. That's what the guy says. You've got to put up, you've got to announce it to the market. We've done a lot of work since then. We've done lots of mapping. Lots of samples have been sent away to SGS in Mali. We've just signed an agreement to run, to fly aeromagnetics. Oh, by the way, we also bought the contiguous deposit because that was available for, for cheap. And the work from the independent geos and our geological team said the trend continues into site. Um, it's, it's, it's certainly way bigger than we thought. So I'll say that. I shouldn't say it's certainly. It's probably way bigger than we than we than we thought because that's kind of been um, that's clear. And so we're doing we're spending. So the kind of original strategy of just building a small mill to take um, advantage of three hundred thousand ounces is morphing a little bit. We have to. What you don't want to do is either build something too small or go and build something on top of what could be your ore body because then you could sterilize all the ore underneath it. So we're just taking a little bit longer to study the to study the ore body. So we're doing trenching, we're doing our um, uh, sampling. We've taken lots of samples to SGS, as I said. We're flying aeromagnetics over the site, which will probably commence in the next three weeks, and um, and then we'll we'll probably put a few holes into the into the deposit. And I'm guessing that because of again lack of availability of drill drill rigs within Mali, I'm guessing realistically that's going to only be in two months' time. We'll put some holes in. And then we'll update the market. That will allow us to really give much more certainty to the market, not just some guy saying based on. Uh, and by the way, there's been a lot of drilling on this deposit. This wasn't yeah. a greenfield deposit. We bought one with. It was the analysis of the drill holes that led this guy to believe it was more ore. But some of the drill holes stopped, and they were still in the ore body. So what we need to do is drill further down so we can actually see the full extent of the ore body. 
So I'm guessing in the next few months, we come back to the market with a, with a nice positive surprise, I hope. And, um, and then using that, we can then source the, um, the size of the mill and the mine that we want to build. Because really, we, we still want to be a cash flow. We're not here to, to be drilling for three, four years to find something huge. We still, you know, but we, again, we just physically have to locate things so that it makes sense. And then again, we're talking to some royalty producers. We're talking to two royalty guys about signing royalties for the for the um, for the deposit. Now, I've said that for a while. There's a very good reason why we haven't just signed a royalty now, and that's because we don't know how much gold we have. You know, I could, we could have signed a royalty three months ago with someone on the basis of three hundred thousand ounces, which is what we bought. But royalties tend to extend for the whole. The upside for a royalty producers that you find more gold. You know that's kind of their game. They they give you a royalty based on what you sh you can show you have, and then if they if you find four times as much gold, it's upside for them. We now have very good reason to believe we have more gold. So for us to sign a royalty can, where we can prove three hundred thousand ounces, and where we know we probably have four times that, would be a I think a terrible decision for the company. So we have held off um, we have held off signing any royalty agreements. But I, again, I'm just saying we could, and um, and if we need to, we will. But we've held off signing any royalty agreements until we really understand the extent of what we have. What we thought was this kind of satellite deposit has turned out to be something much bigger. So we have to we have to understand that better. Yeah. But we have we have, a, we have a full team working on that in Mali, obviously separate from the Zimbabwe operation. You know, and they've have been there's been Ramadan for the last few weeks, so that's kind of slowed things a little bit. But now that's finished, and we're back on at full at full capacity. Yeah, I mean, now it's probably a bit of a shock when uh, the the um, geology consultant come back to you and said the four times the amount of resource yeah. that you thought I just knew there'd be um, you know I guess I knew there'd be suspicion and uh, people would say, but it really wasn't it was as, it was as much of a shock to us as anyone because just literally two weeks before we were telling everyone we had this amazing strategy of buying up three or four hundred three or four three hundred thousand ounce deposits and then next thing the first one we get turns out turns out that it's probably much bigger yeah um and obviously, uh, keep keeping on the Corallo, um, so much more significant of a deposit than you obviously really anticipated. Um, you obviously just mentioned about some of the other multiple um, operations, or sorry, multiple pit um, mm. operations that you were looking at. Just wanted to give some more details around that. Yeah, we, we looked at, um, we well, you mean multi-million ounce deposits. We looked at a we 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 were offered them. We never looked at them because the, the the cost of entry was too high. You're looking for a for a million ounce drilled out deposit in Mali, fifteen to twenty million dollars. So it never made sense for a company our size to buy that. That's why. But for a three hundred thousand ounce deposit, you're looking at a million ounce, a million dollars. So you buy three of those, three million dollars. You've got nine hundred thousand ounces, and someone who's buying a million ounces is paying fifteen. You know, so that, that's kind of the thought process we had. Now, of course, you want the deposits to be contiguous or at least near each other. So that, I mean, having one in Western Mali, one in Southern Mali means you, you're building tiny little lines. We wanted to build a large mill and feed ore in from satellite deposits. And that's what really took the most time was working on an area where we thought we knew people and we knew enough projects where we could build that, um, that database. And as you saw, we very quickly moved on the neighbors because we'd already spoken to the neighbors about buying that. And the minute... And the, the minute we knew we had more than we had, we immediately launched on our neighbor's deposit because had we put out that we have much more than we had, the price of the neighbor's deposit would have increased. So we, we, you know, we had to move quickly. And we've, we've got optionality on further deposits in the area as well, which we can, um, which we can seek to, because that was our idea, build a little, 
you know, a network of smaller deposits around, around a main deposit. And so, you know, I think, again, I'd love to say that I knew all along that this was going to be much larger and that I'm just this, but, you know, and one day I might say that, you never know, but then people will come back to this podcast and say, no, you didn't know. <laughs> you have to come on next later this yeah. year or next year and uh, yeah. give us an update. So I knew all along, I, I could read the maps and all that, but I couldn't. We just, it was just like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what are the timeframes you're looking at for both the projects? And um, are you, well, I suppose those projects would be, um, obviously if they come back and they are what they are, um, are you looking at any further acquisitions as well? No, we're not looking at further acquisitions. As I said, we've got some optionality within Mali, but that's on. We're talking small, small uh, neighbors. If we can, get, if we can pick up neighbors' deposits at the right time for the right amount of money, and, and and each subsequent acquisition will be smaller than the last. And you saw the last one was way small. The the first acquisition in Mali was higher, then it got lower. So we, you know, there'll be there might be some small acquisitions of land around us. Um, Timeframes for Zimbabwe is. In terms of sinking the shaft, removing the product, sending it off to to be um, uh, to be processed. And by the way, that product is sold then, so we're actually selling a small amount. But anyway, technically, we've then mined and sold product. Are you looking at probably two two and a half months for that? And in Garalo, we start the we start the aeromags in the next three months. Uh, sorry, the next three weeks. And the um, and the aeromag will be over our Garalo deposit and our, obviously the neighbouring deposit in Tela. And then from the back of that, we'll do some drilling. And on the back, on the after we've done the drilling and we understand the resource, we will then issue the royalties. So we can raise, we can raise the royalty money in order to to fund the mine build. And the mine, so the mine build will, I would guess, push um, to late this year, early next year. And but then, the fact that we're spending this money now will allow us to price the royalties correctly because you know badly priced royalty is very very expensive for a company. Yeah. And what are the life and minds of both projects? The coal deposit is over 2 billion tonnes, so of which of which 30% um, is coke and coal, so that's 600 million tonnes. And, you know, off-takes, we're looking at something like 50,000 tonnes a month. So don't, you know, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> tens of decades and decades. On the gold deposit, obviously, all, de all depends on the size of the mine you build. And the size of the mine we build will be, um, and versus the resource size. So the, the size of the mine we build that we can, the size of the mine that we can afford to build based on royalties without having to go and raise too much money is about 30,000 tons, and uh, an, 30,000 ounces an annum. And um, and to be frank, and I've, you know, I've said this to Shelters before, that's not, if we got one and a half, say 2 million ounces on the site, that's way too small a mine to build. But it's within our means. So we don't have to then beg the market. We don't have to do, you know, so what we can definitely deliver is that 30,000 ounce production. And then we can use cash flow from the company to expand. Or we can see, you know, maybe we put 2 million ounces out and someone, and, you know, someone strategic comes with a much better offer and we can, we can raise a larger amount of money and build a, a bigger mine. But it's not going to be done. It's, you know, the, the, the management, the kind of the shareholders of the company are such large shareholders. It's not in our interest to dilute the company too much. Yeah, I understand. Carl, really appreciate your time and uh, give us an overview of the company and obviously the, um, give us an uh, overview of what Colk & Coal is used for and obviously that project and obviously the, the gold project. If our audience wants to reach out to you and have got any questions, how can they go about doing that? 
If you just head to Contango Holdings website, which is contango-holdings-plc.co.uk or just uh, Google, then there's a contacts page and that'll come through to me eventually. It'll go through to so one person, it'll go through to a few of us at the same time. So we, we can respond on that basis. Yeah. Okay. And I'll put that in the show notes accompanying this anyway. So if anyone's got any questions, they can uh, reach out to you. I wish Brilliant. you all the, I wish you all the best of luck. Um, sounds you. exciting. And, and especially coming back with that, um, that larger than resource than, yeah. than you thought. So, um, um, best of luck and maybe come on you, next Ross. year later this year or next year to give us an update um, and see see where you are then brilliant appreciate it have a good one no worries and you and, and the audience appreciate you uh, listening um, hope hope you uh, enjoyed uh, the podcast understand a little bit more about coke and coal obviously it's not it's not really necessarily talked about maybe we had a bit of a bad Coal is probably a bit of a bad subject, but obviously it has its uses and it is still needed um, in mining at the moment. So I um, appreciate if you can share uh, share the episode amongst friends, family, people in the industry. Um, and until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.